Hi, this is Giuseppe. Hi, this is Anthony. And you're listening to For the Love of Sophia. A philosophy podcast brought to you by the Public Philosophy Project. If you have any questions or suggestions, feel free to email us at publicphilproject at gmail.com. Enjoy the ride. We are back today. Back for one more episode. And we're going to be talking about this thing called democracy. That, you know, considering when this episode is going to come out, uh, should be pretty relevant, right? That's true. We, we planned it accordingly. Yeah. Most of you, us, I don't know, uh, should be exercising that thing at that point, right? Should be, or should not be. Or should not be, that's also <laughs> a possibility. Uh, you know, and I guess uh, one of the questions will be like, is the, this thing that we're exercising democracy or is it something else? But yeah, I'm, I'm, getting, I'm going far ahead. I'm yeah, there's ahead. so much. And I'm thinking, as with many words we encounter in a philosophical setting, democracy is one of those where it's... It's almost like a cliche because you hear the word ever since you're young, going through the education system, democracy is this, democracy is this, to the point where it almost kind of loses meaning. And so I think, as always, a good place to start is to clarify, like, what even is this thing? And then once we do that, if we do that, right, <laughs> then we can get into these conversations about, you know, whether it's desirable or desirable sometimes or never or all that good stuff. So yeah. what do you think? And it's funny because you're saying, well, the moment we define it, and I'm thinking, yeah, maybe to define this thing, it might take us like uh, about all our life. So I don't know if we'd be able to. <laughs> uh, but yes, I know what you mean. Um, well, I think we can go back probably, and I usually do this when, when we have these words that are either cliche or complicated. Meanwhile, if you're hearing like a, a crow, it's because I'm outside. <laughs> it's and like a, it's a harbinger of events. Exactly. <laughs> so um, I was saying I usually do this all the time every time I do uh, I do encounter one of those difficult words and I do it sometimes with the word philosophy as well I like to go back to the origin of the word to the to the etymology I should say and see what it means in itself and we know that democracy is one of the many Greek words that we have uh, imported and then we use and it literally means, well, power to the people, <laughs> uh, frankly, right? Uh, and with demos uh, and kratos being the two words they're used. And it is used as, as we use it today as, to describe a form of government, but it wasn't necessarily always like that. And mm -hmm. especially today, we consider it to be like the, the perfect form of government or the best form of government. While we know that in the past, that wasn't... That wasn't the case, right? Hmm. Yeah, that's a good little introduction. And then I think it's important to note that if we're understanding it as power to the people, it's like in contrast to what, right? And so maybe we can understand the people, uh, at least how it eventually became used in a larger political context. That means something like 
Well, it's not just the people on top having power, right? It's not just the people on top deciding what to do and how to do things. There's this, at least in theory, this dispersal of power um, that's kind of equal amongst everyone, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And that's, and I think that is, this is um, especially interesting because uh, we, um, we have this idea um, of our political situation right now it's something that's detained by few right and some people have and this is the people in power that decide everything that that make the laws and for better or worse right some people might think that uh, again this few people are the powerful people the one that like the puppet master right mm-hmm, but on mm-hmm. the other hand uh, you can think that uh, the few people that are still in power are the one that represent us right uh, the the people that represent us within the government, within the democratically elected uh, government, are the only one with power. Well, instead, democracy seems to pinpoint uh, the fact that the people, all of us, have to be in power in order for us to have a democracy, right? Mm, yeah, so that's a, a good point, that there's a difference between a pure democracy, where everyone is deciding on things, right, in quite a literal sense, versus a democratic republic where people are democratically electing people to make the decisions about what happens. And I think to say I like or dislike democracy is going to depend largely upon which of those two we're talking about, I think, although there'll there'll be some commonalities. Yeah, and uh, and I'm wondering if... Uh, if we need to, um, if there's a need there to really distinguish the two, to make like a hard distinction, or we we can say that um, the two things are more or less similar, right? Mm. Uh, and what I mean by that is, um, and maybe we can we can sort of start from here. Is there what will be the biggest difference? I mean, at the end of the day, if would it be even possible for us to have to be making the decisions? all together or do we need to have this representation is is the um the the pure democracy so to speak the the democracy the ideal democracy uh is it a possible one or is it just a utopia right because um i know we think back to greece and we think back to athens where everybody was involved in the political process that to be a citizen was what made you uh realize you as a human being almost right aristotle at least seems to think that way and Plato as well um but we very well know that it wasn't true that everyone participated Hmm. not everyone was involved in the political process at the end of the day even though that was the idea the city wasn't a, a democracy but was um something else right Hmm. wasn't an oligarchy either uh, but was an aristocracy where only the best were there to to mm-hmm. to spar in the political arena right yeah and i think the one of the things you said early on was interesting this idea that aside from the issue of whether or not the democratic model is most moral in principle or because of the results it produces, there's the question of if it's even possible. Mm-hmm. And if it's possible, is it even practical? Right? Because you asked, what would a like a true 
100% democracy look like? And and the extreme would be something like everyone, literally, right? Everyone thinking about and voting on every single thing that a collective body, i.e. a state, wants to do. Exactly. And it's like, hmm, if... First of all, could you could your mind even handle that? And even if it could, would that be a good life? Because I think that doesn't sound like <laughs> the greatest life if that's all you're worrying about is political matters. In fact, it sounds like a terrible life. I would never want to do that, um, which may be one of the reasons, among others, that we kind of export uh, the responsibility to a set of representatives rather than you know, every single person all the time. True, together with the idea that we have gotten from modernity on, I want to say, uh, which is the idea of competency, right? We mm. feel that not only will be impractical, but we also feel that it will probably be um, just not functioning because not everyone is competent in making certain decisions, right? So there's this idea that, uh, it seems to be at least, that we believe that everyone is competent enough to figure out, to decide, to find somebody that represents his or her ideas, right? So mm -hmm. I can, I'm able to find somebody, I'm able to say, okay, this person can be there representing me. However, this person, in order to represent me, is supposed to have certain characteristics, it needs to have certain competencies mm -hmm. that allow her to to take decisions that are appropriate on that level. And this competencies, maybe I don't have, but I'm okay with it because this person does. And since not everyone has political competence, we have decided somehow that there's a group of people that can be devoted uh, to do that. Now, how well they do that, and if they're really competent, that's a different story. But ideally, that's the idea, right? Yeah, definitely seems to be that. And I think we're going to wind up getting into that competent, competence conversation uh, more deeply a little bit later on. Mm -hmm. And I'm wondering if something to, to do is to maybe talk about what is the, the common way we usually engage with this concept of democracy when we get past the cliche aspect. Like what, what, what do we think is good about it? What is the acceptable aspect of it? And I'm thinking if you go back to Locke, for example, uh, he said that when you move from the state of nature into a civil society, right, it has to be governed democratically, which would seem to indicate that a non-democratic collective body would be uncivil or something like that. So we just have this idea that democracy is, is, is what civilization is all about and it's what freedom is all about. Um, what what else though do you think is there in most people's minds? And and, and it's funny uh, because uh, today we seem to think that. And again, this is modernity again with Locke and and because not even Hobbes thinks that it's from Locke on uh, with the Enlightenment. I think that comes this idea that uh, that democracy is the only way. Well, mm -hmm. before that, we very well know that the Greeks hated that. The Greeks thought it was one of the worst things possible. And now while well, we were talking i was thinking about sort of the same thing that you were saying it's like why is it that we consider things good what mm -hmm. is so great about the fact that everyone should have a say or should be involved in a political decision and what is what is the alternative right 
because I don't think that we can phantom anything different because, you know, we have this image of a tyranny of a certain kind, right? Or when a person or a group of people decide for everyone and then on the other side there's this idea that the great uh, democracy where everyone is allowed to, uh, to when everyone is accounted for, I should say, not allowed mm. to. When everyone counts, everyone, every vote uh, counts and voting is the supreme expression of our freedom and liberty and so on yeah which i'm not sure that that's even the case i mean I, why do you think we like it so much and why do you think again Locke would say that a non-democratic society is not civil well so this is a good question and i'm thinking that i think the reason that we hold it in such high regard um ignoring the fact that a lot of that is just internalized by this point in time without us even thinking about it um, seems to be because it makes us most free, right? Like there's this idea that a, a democracy is freedom because it's not, again, not just allowing a dictator or a group of people to make decisions, but it's like, I am the government, right? I, we, the people. So there's this idea that I'm representing myself and that I have a say in what's going on in things. And that seems to be part of it. And not only freedom, but equality, that everyone has an equal say in what happens. So in many ways, it seems like um, for someone like Locke, a democracy is desirable because it possesses the same qualities that the state of nature was supposed to possess, which is freedom mm -hmm. and equality. But it's just a way of doing that in a more tame environment. And um, I'm, while you were saying these things, I'm thinking that that is exactly the Enlightenment project, right? Mm. This idea of autonomy. Nobody's telling me what to do anymore, but I am the one in charge or the way I'm going to be governed, right? I'm giving away my freedom to this group of representatives, but at the end of the day, I'm deciding who to put there, right? It is almost mm -hmm. this general will that is being presented to me from these people that I elected there. And as you're saying, there's this idea of equality because, again, uh, my vote counts as much as your vote. Well, we know that before that, it wasn't the case. Uh, there, in France specifically, for example, there were, you know, people will be voting as a group, you know, there were the lower group that will vote as one and the aristocracy will vote as one and was... And, and the clergy will vote as one, so the mm -hmm. individual wouldn't really count at all. But in this point, you hear this over and over again, especially during election times, one single vote counts, right? <laughs> uh, which is, I don't know, again, I don't know how true it is, especially in, in, in our system in the U.S., but, um, but yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, so that's interesting, because if you if you see it as a product of the Enlightenment values, then it would seem to be like, oh, democracy, even though it's a collective enterprise, it's in theory done in a way where it's really just a magnification of the individual, right? So there's autonomy on an individual level. And so like, hey, let's make a society that's autonomous. And I and think that that's the case. It, it could be, right? And I think two questions that come up for me are, one, supposing that is true, that, that the democratic body does uh, reflect the individual, is that a good thing? 
right? Mm -hmm. And the second question would be, does it even do that? Does it do the thing that it's, that it's supposed to do, in other words? I, I think that, that quite the second question is very important and can be applied to the entire uh, democratic endeavor, I want to say, because this mm. democracy does what it promised to do. I think that's one of the questions that we will end up wrestling with later on. Um, as for the first question, is it is it a good thing to create a society that's like kind of the individual magnified? Is that what you're asking, so to speak? Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know. Would you? What would be the alternative, though? I mean, is it possible to create know. a group, a group uh, dynamic? That's completely different from the individual dynamic, and there's a couple. I mean, Hobbes, for example, believes that, and not just him, but a lot of a lot of political political philosophers, they will say that this is just the way things are. To the point that, outside of the social contract, which is these artificial things, states act as individuals in the state of nature, and they mm -hmm. are at war with each other constantly for power, whatever it is, right? Mm -hmm. But the idea there is. Uh, that basically states are nothing but nothing but individuals made out of other individuals. They are powerful because they are kind of the sum of the power of everyone in there. And Locke, sorry, Hobbes seems to believe that there's no alternative to that. That the alternative to that is just individuals that live separately. Mm. Uh, and and I wonder. I cannot think of of a social uh, setting that is not set up as a magnified human being, so to speak. Because I don't think we can think beyond that, right? Uh, we can only think to organize ourselves the way we will organize in our individual life, because these are the categories of our mind. This is just what, what we can do. There's nothing else. So I don't think that that's a problem just with democracy. But that's, Right, that's a, just like an epistemological fact, right? That's, that's politics, right? Think of, you know, a kingdom as a place where an individual literally embodies a nation, right? Hmm. Yeah, there does seem to be in all areas, and we're talking about politics specifically, but I think even beyond that, this idea that, like, whatever is in a certain structure, when it acts or when it produces something, there will be that structure echoed right but in a um in a larger form so everything is kind of a microcosm and a macro macrocosm of everything else exactly. and maybe this is just one aspect of that exactly. um but this issue of do does the democratic system accurately embody right the the, the structure of the individual is interesting cuz many people say yes but many people are going to say no mm -hmm. right many people are going to say well, if that was the case, then how can it be that sometimes there's a conflict between the democratic body and the individual? Well, and that is an interesting thing, right? Because, and you, we can go, uh, we can think about this from two different perspectives. Uh, the first perspective is definitely the one that comes from uh, the traditions that we're, we're mentioning, Hobbes and Locke, right? And in general, the, the social contract theory or the contractualist where they clearly say that in order for us to create this bigger individual, let's call it, right, to, to mm -hmm. create the social body, we need to give up some of the individual things that we have. It could yes. be freedom, 
Uh, it could be just the, the freedom to do whatever we want, or it can be, uh, like Rousseau would say, for example, kind of interiorizing and understanding better this thing that he calls the general will, which is this will of humanity that sometimes works against, which is a very complex thing, I believe, that Rousseau talks about. Mm -hmm. But sometimes it goes against my individual, um, how can we say, um, the individual things that I want, but at, at the same time I really want because it advances us as a species. So it's against mm -hmm. me, but it's not against me. Or Locke would say, yes, we give temporarily away some of our power to just have it returned to us tenfold, so to speak, uh, to protect and enhance our natural rights and so on. And this is one way to look at it. But then there is another way to look at it and saying, well, democracy, if democracy is supposed to uh, to be just a representation of the individual, uh, the democratic process should work in a way that literally gives the people, the majority of the people, what they want. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think that this is called uh, a democracy of interest, right? Mm -hmm. And and this doesn't seem to be working prop. This a kind of democracy that works that way, it's at least dangerous to me. Think of a democracy where a group of individuals, the majority of the individuals, always have it the way they want it to have for everything that they want. Okay. While the minority of the individuals never gets what they want. So they're just screwed all the time. But not only that, but think of the fact that we are agreeing on a specific goal that we want to achieve, and we all know that wants and needs are mostly immediate. So mm -hmm. this group, this democratic entity, this society will always be driven by short-term goals. But we mm. agree that we all need more ice cream and we should have more ice cream all the time. Uh, yeah. We're not we're not accounting for the fact that this way, for example, I don't know, uh, cocoa plants will not be able to produce enough chocolate to do that all the time. Or that if yeah. we keep on eating ice cream, we will die of with, because of diabetes and so on. This is pretty funny because it's kind of reminding me of, uh, of the conversation, some of the conversation we had in the work episode. Right, mm -hmm. where we were talking about economic systems, and the idea was like you were saying, even if the system itself doesn't have this property, like that's kind of what gets amplified. And so you're saying if if a democracy involves people, and mm -hmm. people are short-sighted and self-interested in only a narrow sense, rather than in a in a long-term wide sense, then we could wind up voting on all these things that aren't so great, right? And that could actually hurt in the long run. Absolutely, and. But this is a a way in which we can understand democracy in the political process, right? And I mm -hmm. think that there is some sort of a um, we are kind of uh, of going in the direction partially, right? This idea that I vote for my microcosm, right? The thing that mm -hmm. interests me are, for example, certain things that have to do with uh, again not my idea, but just making up an example, right? I'm interested about all this sort of thing that we call identity policy, right? Okay. And I'll vote no matter what, what advances my interest in that specific aspect. Mm -hmm. And because I do that, I just fail to see that concentrating just on that, for example, will hinder other aspects of society. Good point, yeah. Or, you know, some people think I'd have in mind only the economic interest of, of a group. And I will vote aligned to that specific group that will do my specific economic interest and I just concentrate on that and everything else doesn't count and that has disastrous 
consequences again mm-hmm. and we can mention millions of things uh, again one that's close to our hearts uh, if education becomes and we have talked about this before if education becomes just an economic uh, issue right i how much money i have to spend how much money i make after i do this and that then we are in trouble uh, or you know if we just care about again identity politics then freedom of speech might be in in, in jeopardy right mm-hmm. uh, but this is just uh, just examples but i think that these are the the maladies if you want these are the illnesses uh that a kind of interest-based democracy can bring there's a weird almost counterintuitive nature to it because if the idea is we give everyone the freedom to vote for their interest then it can result in a situation that actually limits the extent to which you are free and able to serve your interest very weird absolutely and i absolutely and i also think that if we base our democracy on interest Again, if it's an interest-based democracy, because I think that democracy can be declined in different ways, but mm-hmm. if it is an interest, an interest-based democracy, uh, not only it will limit us in the way you're saying, but it will literally take away from us the possibility of desiring and wanting something different that we had never thought about. Because mm-hmm. I'm always voting and thinking in, within the same lines and. I'm never exposed to anything different. I'm, I have never forced to be in a situation where I have to deal with something that is not what I really want if I'm part of the majority, right? Hmm. That's a good point. And I feel like, again, there's almost this weird... It's not a contradiction, but there's like a weird set of things that would seem to be in opposition because on the one hand it's like democracy seems to be the absence of force right because everyone's participating uh, voluntarily to vote for certain ends right on the contrary it's like well depending on what the majority chooses that will now be forced upon the dissenting individuals which is super interesting and to kind of blend this with what we were saying earlier about trying to echo the the freedom and equality of the state of nature for Locke, it was like, okay, so we have these natural rights, which we've discussed in, in previous episodes, um, but the fact that the world is logically set up in a certain way doesn't mean that people are going to respect that. So the example I always say is if someone's trying to steal you know, your house and my money and like beat us up, we can't just be like, hey, mister, I have these negative rights. Don't you understand the logic of the situation? <laughs> like, he's not going to care, right? He's just going to pummel us. So Locke's whole point is, like, we need to establish a civil government to protect the natural rights that we already have. Because even in those situations where we're being threatened and beat, we still have the rights, he say, right? Because they're inalienable. It's just that they're not being respected. And so democracy is supposed to protect those natural rights that we already have. However, you run into this issue where it's like, well, what if the majority totally legitimately decides to do something that harms the people in in the minority position? So you have this issue where pure democracy can wind up doing the opposite of what it was intended to do. And this is why 
I'm not sure there are actually, in the philosophical canon of which we're speaking, actual proponents of this pure democracy all the time. Because even someone like Mill, who people are like, oh yeah, he was in favor of democracy. It's like, well, in the kind of beginning of On Liberty, he specifically says you have to avoid the tyranny of the majority. And the tyranny of the majority could be even worse than you know the traditionally uh, thought of tyrant. And so the idea is that for some people, they recognize that although democracy gets some things right, it can get some things wrong. And so we need to have some limits on what the democratic majority can do. And, you know, in some societies, that's constitutional rights, whatever those may be. And for someone like Mill, this is setting up uh, the harm principle, mm -hmm. right? Or the idea that even if a democratic majority votes something, they can't vote something that takes away your freedom so long as you're not harming other people, right? So in other words, hey, maybe I don't want to wear my seatbelt, or hey, um, I want to eat this certain food or drink these certain things. Like, how could you restrict me from doing that considering I'm not harming other people? So the idea is that even democracy has its limits, and the people that are quote-unquote the proponents of democracy acknowledge this, right? Absolutely, and like everything else it's a it's a human product right mm -hmm. it's we created this thing and so yes limitation and i think this is why i was saying before uh, we have different versions of this thing and again mill is already different from this this interest-based democracy which she was talking about Mill mm -hmm. will be against that interest-based demo based democracy i would say right he would say no we need to constitute democracy in a different way mm -hmm. and uh, the limitations on it are are necessary i want to say because again not just for the for the uh, no matter how you look at it right the the dictatorship of the majority is definitely one of the issues right mm -hmm. if there's always the same majority deciding all the time then it's a tyranny pretty much right mm -hmm. uh, but there's also the issue of uh, you know that that's the issue that the greeks kind of highlighted um, which has to do with with the fact that if everyone is involved in a decision, right, every single person in every single decision, then what is it going to happen? Mm -hmm. When the when the uh, Plato the, says this thing that's absolutely not political correct today, he's talking about <laughs> you know when the when the poor people, the people that are that have power, when they get power finally, that's when tyranny happens, right? Yes, uh, in the Republic. Yeah, I think that's an that's an interesting perspective because I don't think that Plato hates poor people or people that have no power. Agreed. Plato is worried about what will happen in that case when the theory of opinions, so to speak, comes to be, right? When everyone's opinion counts as the same, when everyone's, when everyone that, independently of what they know, what they do, of their intentions is accounted as the same, uh, that's an issue for them. For, yeah, because the there's this whole idea in Plato, right, that like when the disenfranchised uh, replace the oligarchy, we're supposed to be serving the interests of the people, right? But mm -hmm. when people are so concerned with this thing that they're at least calling freedom or, or thinking is freedom, it could have some weird consequences where all of a sudden it leads to chaos, mm -hmm. right? And I think this is the kind of thing, thing you're talking about. When they get power to distribute power even though it's distributed evenly it'll like wind up doing something bad because people don't 
tame their their desires, right? Exactly. They they become slaves of what they want once more, right? Mm-hmm. And the wants of the many are, you know, phallic. They they just just want more and more, and they don't even know what they want <laughs> at the end of the day. Yeah, and this also reminds me of a uh, in in the the credo or the credo, depending on how you pronounce it. Um, you know, there's this argument between Socrates and Crito, and he says, listen, like, because the whole, for those of you listening who don't know, the, the whole context of the dialogue is that Socrates was uh, sentenced to death by a democratic majority, right? Exactly. <laughs> for allegedly, A, corrupting the minds of the youth, and B, uh, being impious, right, or sacrilegious. Mm-hmm. And despite the fact that in his trial where he defended himself, he, like, logically proved the accusers wrong, the Democratic body was like, mm, yeah, but I don't like you. <laughs> so they exactly. still voted that he was guilty <laughs> and voted for him to die uh, by drinking hemlock. Side note, I told you we have the city garden now, right, this plot? Yeah. Yeah. They told us there was, like, a, a little problem with hemlock. A little while ago, where it was oh, growing in the garden. That's the first thing I thought of. Oh, oh, shit. Uh, but anyway, uh, in the next dialogue, right, that we're talking about, Socrates' friend comes to break him out. And they have this argument about whether it's the right thing to do. And Crito says something like, listen, if I don't break, break you out, uh, people are going to think that I am not a good person. People are going to think that I didn't try. Mm-hmm. I didn't save my friend when I could have, and like I'm part of the problem. And Socrates has this interesting answer. He says, well, we shouldn't care about the opinion of most people or about stupid people, right? We should only care about what the wise think, not what the majority think. And Crowder responds, and he's like, yeah, but what if uh, that majority opinion votes to kill you? Like, Are we still supposed to listen to it? And Socrates ultimately winds up saying, well, I agreed to this, right? I agreed to be part of the the democratic structure by may, remaining in Athens for 70 years and, and accepting these services and all that good stuff. So, it, again, it's weird because you find some things in Plato which are critical of democracy and other things from his mentor, Socrates, that seem to be respective of the system, right? Absolutely, absolutely. And it's... It's such a mixed bag with Plato, right? With Aristotle, mm-hmm. it's different. He, he doesn't like democracy. We know that. Straightforward. Uh, yeah, yeah. No, well, not um, being unjust there, but it's more clear, I want to say. But again, we have to say that for both of them, uh, democracy, the thing that they don't like about democracy is the demagogical aspect of it, right? Mm. That's what they're afraid of. They're afraid of, again, something that maybe we can relate to. They're afraid of the fact that eventually people will start voting uh, on policies they were taking, but in our so if we translate in our terms, people will start voting for individuals based on their ratings rather than uh, their ideas, right? Mm. Based on the on the fact that they like them or don't like them, that's yeah. the that's and based on the fact that they might be uh, presenting themselves as the saviors of a specific group, mm-hmm. uh, while they're not doing necessarily the well, they're not taking the hard decisions for that are the right ones for the city because nobody will take the decisions that they need to take if people then the way they will end up not liking them instead basing democ- basing government on 
on pure reason we can say right mm-hmm. that that's the thing to do so if and they don't think that everyone is capable of making rational decisions the way they're supposed to and that is yeah, why right? they don't because like because there's this element of arbitrariness Exactly. And so the idea is that if there's this un, almost unlimited freedom for people to, to vote for things and people um, and there's no like threshold they have to meet in order to be able to vote, mm-hmm. I could just make a decision based on something that I feel right, but is untrue. Mm-hmm. Or I can make a decision based on, I don't know, something that's completely arbitrary. Right. And, you, you know, people make fun of these things like. I'm going to have a beer with this guy, right? Or like, oh, I like that <laughs> suit he wore. Yeah, yeah. Or he comes off to me like... Authentic. <laughs> and and you know what? Like, it's not that that's not relevant because I do think there's something important about how someone comes off. Mm-hmm. But I guess I mean to... Because character is important, right? Absolutely. But I mean to say that sometimes people will make decisions based on things that are, are merely illusory, right? Their yeah. appearance... But their their mere appearance, I guess. Absolutely, and I think that uh, it seems from what we're saying that maybe a good way to limit democracy might be uh, involving some aspect of rationality, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and this can mean uh, you know electing people that have the which is what what the ancients think, right? That have the the good. Uh, intellectual capability to do that right they mm-hmm. have the right uh the right uh, abilities to do that intellectual abilities to do that uh, or uh, if we move ahead to to uh, the 20th century uh with somebody like habermas for example right uh you have uh, this idea that rationality is the limit rationality is the way in which we need to um how can we say uh we need to organize our political discourse we need to mm-hmm. organize our political decisions. That the idea is that in order to make a political decisions, we need to talk about it. This idea is a communicative democracy uh, for Habermas. We need to talk about it, and we need and that specifically means to actually reason about stuff, mm-hmm. reason problem, and and try to find solutions to specific problems. And he thinks that this this problem solving aspect of politics. Uh, is what we should emphasize and what democracy should be all about. Democracy should be not about uh, so much about, you know, me participating in the decision process, but it should be about identifying the problem that I want us to solve together, right? So it's goal-oriented and it's instrumental, right? And we should only utilize it and respect it to the extent that it, that it helps us uh, solve these problems. And so I think so far we've been pretty open and being like, what is this thing? What do people typically think about it? What, what, what follows from this? Maybe in uh, the next episode we can get into some more specific criticisms uh, of democracy and maybe even talk about that idea of merit that you said, because I have that in my mind too. So does that sound good? Uh, absolutely. I just want, I, I want to just add one thing about this, this other mm-hmm. thing you were saying is instrumental. Uh, true, it is instrumental, but not in the sense of the interest-based democracy, though. We're yeah, not looking okay. at the interest that we all have in that moment, mm-hmm. but we're looking at the issue and the problem that we have as a whole, mm-hmm. not just in the short run, but in the long run, because what's guiding us 
is rationality. What's guiding us is the intellect. Again, is the project of modernity represented in a different way? But I guess right. we can talk about this, and we will probably still talk about this next. All right, yeah, it was time. a good distinction. All right, we'll continue on. All right, see you later. See you around. Mm -hmm.